previously on UK Motor Talk at the British Motor Show 2022. That was hilarious fun. I mean, as, as a way of a brand engaging people and getting people on board and learning what the cars are about and, hey, just come along, have a good time, have some fun. British built, British designed for British jobs. Microfactory set up so we could, we, if we wanted to, we could take what we're doing in, in East Sussex and put another one up north or in Wales or anywhere. Our students literally, as a design team, went away and came up with fantastic ideas of how could they build models, how could they demonstrate the flexibility and the modularity of this new vehicle. Everyone last time they picked up the Howard Code, you might be 20, 25 years ago and you passed your driving test, if not more. <laughs> last year, astonishingly, our sector gave back three billion pounds worth of apprentice levy, which is barking mad, you know, I mean, because apprentices are the lifeblood of our industry. I mean, there's one facility that's producing some in the region about 20 million litres. That sounds like a huge amount of fuel, but actually if you look at the grand scheme of things of how much fuel we use as a species, it's a drop in the ocean. Really pleased. World records, happy faces, loud cars, electric cars. It really pleased the way it's going so far. This is part two of UK Motor Talk at the British Motor Show 2022. So the other day I was lucky enough to be bought a uh, Dana Lamborghini by my better half and whilst I was on the website having a browse around I saw they also had the opportunity to drive a Jordan Formula One car which piqued my interest and as luck would have it we're actually stood next to that very same Jordan Formula One car with the man who actually rebuilt it. My name's Lewis, I built the Jordan F1 car that's obviously in front of us today. I work for a company called Drift Limits, which is an experienced company, so we allow the general public to drive these kind of cars. We don't have the F1 car, we've got a whole fleet of GT3 cars, race cars, supercars, all the toys you can imagine up at our track. There's all sorts to get along with. Well, I can vouch first-hand for it being a good day out. As I say, I've got the, uh, the Lamborghini day coming up, but I actually drove an aerial atom with yourselves a couple of years ago, so that was uh, a definitely unforgettable experience. But uh, less about me and more about yourself in the car. So you rebuilt this nut and bolt. What engine has it got in the back of it? Because it's not the, uh, the V10 it ran with originally, is it? No, so at the minute it's got a Judd Power V8 in the back of it. It's still producing like 650 horsepower, which is bonkers for a car that weighs about 600 kilos. It's meant to have the V10 from that era, but um, we didn't get given it with that, unfortunately. So the story behind the engine is Jordan allegedly ran out of money towards the end of the season, along with Benetton. They were allowed to run a V8. The FA allowed them to run V8s each. How true that is, we're still trying to confirm with the chief technician of Jordan at the time. But, I mean, it's a pretty nice story to have, you know, potentially a race-driven engine. It still kicks you in the back when you accelerate. It's bonkers this engine. Yeah, because there was the crossover, wasn't there? You could run a V8 or a V10. Some of the cash strap teams were allowed to run the older, cheaper engine. So maybe that's something Formula One should have a look at today, really, in the uh, in the turbo hybrid era. If you could chuck something older, but still producing a thousand brake horsepower in the back of it, well, and let's be honest, they probably sound better as well, don't they? Oh, 100%. The older engines sound better. I mean, the, the cars nowadays, the aero's so impressive, but then they're missing that noise, aren't they? I mean, you know, a big screaming V8, 10 or 12 behind you. What struck me about this opportunity or this experience was it wasn't a Formula 3, Formula 4, Formula 2 painted to look like one. It is one, but it is an actual one and it is a real one, isn't it? So it's not, not a watered-down experience. It's the full beans, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we don't restrict customers at all. So if you can drive this car properly, we don't restrict you at all. So the engine is completely unrestricted. We let you change gears, the brakes, everything is F1. We don't slow you down at all. You get a full day's worth of training, but it is the most 
F1 car a customer can sit in. It's one of the only ones from the Jordan era that are still running. The other one's stuck in a museum somewhere, which is kind of disappointing, but um, it's just unreal when you get to drive this thing. So you might think it's a money can't buy experience, but it turns out money can buy this, but it's not, not actually that much money, is it, in the grand scheme of things? No, so obviously it's going to be expensive because you're driving a Formula 1 car, but when you come up to us you get a full day's worth of training, so you'll start out on our skid pan doing some reaction training, sort of how to catch oversteer, understeer, how to control a car on a wet circuit, you'll progress onto our main circuit where we'll do a lot of more um, intense driving, so apexes, acceleration, braking, stuff like that on a proper circuit. We'll then graduate onto one of our single seaters, so we have smaller vehicles like this called F1000s. These vehicles allow you to get a feel for you know, single-seat driving experience, being in the car, on your own, helmet on, paddle shift gearbox. So they have motorbike engines in the back of them, which let you rev to the moon. So they're really, really talky, and it's just giving you a feel of what to expect when you step up and obviously graduate into the, into the Jordan. And uh, but how, uh, how much are we looking at for the full day, cost-wise? If you join our driver club on our website, the cheapest experience for the Jordan starts at around £650. That's with our discount, and then... Hang on, just to jump in, 650 quid to drive an actual real Formula One car, that's a bargain to me. That, that sounds like very, very good value. Yeah, that's the all-day thing as well. So it's not just the car you get to drive in at the end of the day. You get you get you know, so the whole day's experience. So it starts at 650 pounds and it escalates from there, with depending on laps, experiences, stuff like that. But yeah, the cheapest one, 650 pounds with our discount. And uh, I see the uh, the tyre warmers are on. So is this actually doing some running around today? Is it? Yeah, so about half past three, we'll be heading down to the Cinch Arena, just, just to our right over here. The tyre warmers are on it, just to try and get a bit of temperature in them. I'll cook the fronts to about 110 degrees, get them nice and warm. I'll cool the rears off a little bit, just so we get some tyre spinning action. And we should be going out, hopefully, if all goes well, with the World Series Red Bull as well, get both out at the same time, which would be pretty impressive. So, as days out at work go, this is not a bad day out, is it, for you? It's, it's, it's a fairly good day, isn't it? No, I've got a pretty cool job today at the minute. I mean, I've been, dri I've been driving since Thursday, we're here every day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But yeah, I mean, it's a pretty cool job today, not going to lie. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Lewis, it's been a pleasure to, uh, to chat to you. But for everyone listening at home, if that's whetted your appetites, have a look at Drift Limits. They are at Drift Limits on pretty much all the socials uh, or driftlimits.co.uk and have a look. But this is, uh, this is one of those things, if you are a petrol head, I don't think it gets any better than to drive a Formula One car. And it's been a pleasure to chat to the man who built it. Thank you very much. No worries. Thank you very much. I'm Luke Gavin, one of the MDs of Elmo. Elmo is all-inclusive, completely flexible electric vehicle subscriptions, so you can have an electric car for as long as you want, hand it back whenever you need to, and that's everything you need to run the car all in a single monthly bill. So this is a genuinely new approach that theoretically doesn't cost me any more than any other way of doing things. We really try and make the monthly cost competitive with long-term lease deals when you account for no upfront cost, as well as all the things you would spend if you uh, had a lease car, so all your insurance and maintenance and breakdown, all of that's included. So we really try and be competitive. So the idea is that we remove the barriers for people that want to go electric, but don't want to make that financial commitment. And it's a really low commitment introduction to the new technology. Presumably then, and I've just been saying to someone from the AA, that once you've driven an electric car, you very rarely go back. Is it the fact that people aren't really handing them back after a fortnight saying, oh, I don't like this, and they are actually keeping them for quite a long time. Yeah, we, we have pretty good retention. I mean, some people need the car for the summer, so we'll just have it. Some people are visiting from abroad, so it fits their lifestyle pretty well. But most people, once they get into the car, they love it, and they either keep one of our cars, swap to another one of our cars, or go on to buy or, or lease another car. So I think, yeah, I think it is true. Once people drive an electric car, they, they rarely go back. And what we found when people try a subscription car, they're also pretty likely to stay with that model. But to be fair, it's a more 
honest way of realising how expensive cars are, isn't it? Because if you go out and you spend your £40,000 on a car and it's only worth ten after a couple of years, you're still paying an awful lot, but you just don't realise you're doing it in the, quite the same way. Yeah, that, that's it. And I think a lot of people look at our prices and they might say that's very expensive. <laughs> but actually, when you do the maths, uh, it's really not. And, and that's just what cars cost. So, yeah, we try and be really upfront. We don't really want to sort of hoodwink people into it. And it's like, this is what it's cost, but this is actually what it will cost and no more. And there won't be any hidden surprises. So one way or another, then looking around, there's an awful lot of choice. Is any particular type more popular than others in this kind of scheme? With the industry as it is now, uh, it's quite tough to get hold of cars. So we've just kind of grabbed what we can. But our, you know, our top performing models are the, the MG. People love the MG. Uh, I think maybe it's a brand that people might not buy, but people are really comfortable taking down subscription and it's actually a really great car. The is, is that one of the cheaper ones? or It is one of the cheaper ones, yeah. So they, uh, we, you know, we have some for 429 a month, all inclusive, and um, that's done really well. And then there's a few that are a bit more, depending on the model. But then we have the Fiats and the Zoes, they, they perform really well. But, you know, we're, we're pretty low on stock across the board, so uh, we try to have as wide a range as possible and cater for for anyone who might want an electric car, we hope to have a car for them. And, and if, if I want a particular kind, presumably I can at least ask? Yeah, so when you go onto the website, you'll see what's available and what's coming soon. You can sign up for a register interest list and we'll get in contact when it comes back in stock. But yeah, we always always try and find someone a car for them. You say that the insurance and things is included. Is this something that's also going to vary depending on whether it's, say, a young driver or someone who's got points on their license or thing? Is this a good way of getting insured on a car? Yeah, it's a tough question. So no, it doesn't depend on that. Um, we do have an age limit of 25 on all cars, and that does go up to 30 on the premium cars like a Tesla. And that's really to try and reduce the, the insurance cost for everyone. Uh, if we sort of put 21-year-olds on it, you would have a kind of 50, 60-year-old living in Wales paying a lot for their subscription. So we've tried it. But yeah, it's, it's a one-cost-fits-all. But we do look at people's driving, and we try and encourage safe driving. If someone's not driving safely, we take the car back off them. And that's kind of our way of saying, you know, you're all contributing towards the insurance cost because it's on a fleet policy. So we really try and make sure everyone is driving in a safe and responsible way. There's telematics and dash cams in all of them, and it's kind of what you sign up for. It's all part of the service, and you can see your driving score, your carbon savings, and, and your mileage all from your Elmo dashboard. So we try to sort of make it a kind of, kind of gamify driving. That's, that's quite an interesting thought, isn't it, really? Is it a certain kind of person that's doing this, then, that will appreciate that gaming aspect of it? There's definitely a, a sense of you know early adopters, uh, and they're the ones you know who've, who've been in subscription cars for sort of three or four years now, and they really like the flexible aspect. But more and more, we're just seeing average car drivers who just need to get to A to B come in and, and use our service. And, and the sort of gamification of driving is a bit of fun extra that, that goes on top of the normal product. Yeah, that's just a, a very interesting concept that I hadn't really explored in any detail until this morning. So how do I find out more? What's the website? It's called elmodrive.com. has everything on there, has all the information, information about getting into an EV, how to charge, all the information about range, as well as our entire range of products. You can sign up in five minutes and we can deliver a car normally within seven days, depending on availability. We're still wandering around the supercar paddock and there's lots of stuff here. What tickles your pickle? Well, we're stood next to something that I'm fairly certain tickles your pickle with a, uh, with a nice number plate, Fast AMR. It does. Fast Aston Martin. Arr. So this is a V8 Vantage, the AMR edition, so Aston Martin Race Edition, which has some pretty incredible wheels on it and is, the, of course, the classic V8 Vantage shape, the later 4.7 shape with the the skirts and, and the, the slightly bigger ducktail on the back. I am, uh, I am liking the green and the luminous green. 
I'm a big fan of that. It, it does look great, doesn't it? Especially with the pinstriping sort of down the side of the, the waterfall, the centre of the dash, and on the seats, I would say. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, quite often with uh, with lots of cars, you know, whether they're supercars, modified or whatever, you can end up with 88 different colours on it and nothing really ties together. But this is a nice palette. It's black, green, luminous green, smattering of carbon fibre. That's it. There's no random blue or orange or pink on it or anything like that. It goes well. It does. I can see a F355 over there in yellow, which I think is aged incredibly well looking at some of the, the newer stuff that's in here so i can see a four or five eight i can see uh, a couple of new advantages i can see a 360 a couple of 360s actually some really beautiful cars pantera it's you know these things you never grow tired of seeing and a gi yaris which i'm not entirely sure belongs in the supercar paddock but hey it's, uh, it's a hell of a car um but beautiful thing this amr i'm i'm sold as as you know anyway i digress f355 Aged incredibly well, I would say. What do you think? Let's go around and uh, go around and get a bit closer. There's a camera in the nose of that Ferrari. Look, here we go. F three five five Spider. That is a good-looking car. See, actually, the uh, the proportions just work. The wheels just work. The design just works. It has pop-up headlights, which work. But lots of it seems to be. There's definitely a form to it because it is beautiful but there's definitely a function to everything. All the, the scoops and vents that are beautiful and nicely done all serve a purpose. So it has that, it's that, that wonderful balance between form and function, but it is, uh, yeah, a very pretty thing. I'm still not sure about the Yaris being next to it though. One thing that I don't remember about this is that it looks quite short. I mean, it's a big car. Like, Ferraris are, you know, generally speaking, are a reasonable size, aren't they? Unless it's like a Dino or whatever. But I don't remember them proportionally. It looks almost, it looks short side on. I'm sure it isn't. I'm sure it's just my eye. But yeah, really um, quite interesting. Ah, and Ratarosa. Now this is a, a, a pretty cool looking thing. Chipped, gaffer taped, Ga I was gonna amazing. Say, ga gaffer taped front bumper, that is the way to do it. And yes, a lot of stone chips, a lot of patina, somebody might say. So you probably, or may have seen this already, all over YouTube, but it's worth a look at Ratarossa, Ratarossa, however you want to say it. But yeah, have a look and see. Quite an interesting story behind this car. Well worth a Google. Mm, that's mm, colour. It is. So this is a, uh, an Aston Martin, it's sort of like a volcanic orange with a hint of coral or something. I'm not entirely sure what the colour is. Definitely, if you're going to call it a colour, you call it sort of goodbye retina. I quite, it's, it's definitely bold. Car suits it because it's so sharp, but strong haunches. So again, I'm liking this because it's, uh, it's two colours, isn't it? It's carbon fibre and it's orange. So actually that is a bit of me, that. And it's got J and 007 on the number plate. So yeah, I'm liking this. It's in the light, the colour changes a bit. It's actually almost like a, a fluoro orangey, I don't know. It's, it's, how do you explain it? It changes entirely, but it's a cool looking thing. Next to it, a 911. Again, we're speaking about those incredibly capable and certainly a lot more money. Then uh, they've gone up in money a lot uh, re recently, something like a GT3 RS. And next to that, an R8, which is actually, comparatively speaking, really very good value. Formula One cars just started, you probably hear it in the background with its V8 Judd there thudding away. Apparently, there's only two companies in the, uh, in the world that offer an F1 driving experience. This is the only company that doesn't restrict the car. 
Right, time for us to go in now. Hi, I'm Lou. We organised a modified car stand for the British Motor Show. I had fellow helpers who are... Kelly. Ethan. Alan. Cody. And one more person who's now escaped. And Paul, who's just escaped. So we're in the modified car zone. Is it as you expected and hoped it would be? Better, I think. Apart from a couple of scratch cars, we've had a little bit of a to-do about. But apart from that, it's gone very well. We've got a lot of modified cars, all variations, and I think the public are happy. It, it is very different when the people bring in the cars, own the cars, they love their cars. They probably spent quite a lot of money looking at how shiny some of the bits are. Does it make you completely paranoid when you let people walk around them? Yes, definitely. <laughs> Especially when you've only had your paint done for five days. <laughs> ah, so hard, hardly dry then? Yes, hardly dry. <laughs> so I've got the Ford Mondeo ST24. I've tried to keep it as original as possible, but it's got some modifications. It's a bright red saloon and there's not many of them around. It's 22 years old, so it's my pride and joy. And why that car? Um, I don't know, I just love... Red's my favourite colour, but... I don't know, it's just a lovely car. No, it's just a lovely car. You can't afford them. <laughs> yeah, that's why she's got a red one. No, I just fell in love with the Mark II Mondeo, just the shape of it and the saloon. It's just, there's not many saloons around, so it's just something different. So to be in the modified scene, you don't necessarily have to spend £100,000, but I'm presuming a little bit, particularly if it's been resprayed. Yeah, yeah, it's just had the respray, the, all the wheels have been refurbished, the seats have been put back to standard and treated, but yeah, it's been very well looked after. So, as new? As new, yeah. But probably better? Yeah, better. <laughs> and it drives lovely. Oh, well, I was going to say, in many ways, is driving it the proper experience or is looking at it? It drives better than my 70 Reg Cougar. So. Fair enough. <laughs> and your car, has it changed since we spoke back in uh, October? Not really. It's had a new battery, but apart from that, it's a Series 2 RS Turbo, which is quite a rare car. It, it, it's not, is it, what, what is it again? A Series 2 Escort RS Turbo. Not a, a, a oh, XR what? Not, <laughs> not an XR3 i <laughs> which has been called many times, which really annoys me, but you know. It's quite a faux pas, apparently. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is. But it's nice to see people walk around because it brings back memories because most people have had one or wanted one, so it's quite nice to see people with big smiles. Yeah, which was why you were planning <laughs> to do this. Exactly, yeah, exactly. exactly. Now, back over in this direction, I'm presuming that this is your car, the way that you're sitting on it, and I can't imagine that other people no, will be allowed no to do that. Sits on it. No, not at all. Tell me about this one. ST200 limited edition. It's a 294 build number out of 300. I've had it for 22 years from brand new. It's been modified. Just uh, a bit, I imagine. Uh, yeah, power engineering did a bit of work on it, and also it's been remapped. So it's about 92 limiteds on DVLA left now. Had it for, as I say, 22 years. Longest car I've ever had. I must admit, out of all the Ford I had, six Capris and everything. This is the longest. I presume that there's another car that you drive on a daily basis, though. I've got a full transit. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I use. I mean, I'm retired now, but I bought a little van just to run around in. There's no way I was going to use this, you know. So how many miles has it done in those 22 years? 71. That's not too bad. I should think it, it would appear as below average on the auto yeah, trade. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it, it's been to all the shows. And uh, basically, I'm normally with Lou with her RS Turbo and Paul with the Serbian Vega Mondeo. But yeah, I mean, just love it. I 
just love the car. So presumably Fords are actually quite a good brand in the modifying world. Yes, definitely. And the engine is bulletproof, Duratec, really bulletproof. If you say bulletproof, it's very shiny. <laughs> yes, 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 tell me about it. Spend a lot of money getting it all done. But yeah, all well worth it, you know, at the end of the day. And when, when you come to things like this, presumably, you get a lot of fairly well-educated people who know about these things, even if some of them don't know about not putting their fingerprints on the top. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was at a show not long ago, and a guy came up to me, he said, I helped design this in Belgium. <laughs> I said, really? What, the ST200? He went, yeah. He said, I helped design it. And it was quite interesting. He knew exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because inside on the footwell, I never knew that they had actually light sockets. He said Ford's never fitted them. And it, it was only him. <laughs> yeah, he, he was the one that told me. And of course, when I looked under, I yeah, put two bulbs in. Amazing. Yeah. So they were live the whole time? Yeah. Well, not live, but what they do is basically as you open the doors, you get in yeah. on a courtesy, they would light up. All right. And then obviously about five or six seconds, go off. Yeah. But something I never knew about, you yeah. know, and of course that was it, you know. <laughs> but I've had the car modded right up, you know, as I say, the exhaust system, power flow exhaust system, it's got basically straight through to the two boxes at the back. It has got like a sports cat on her. Because when I first bought it, it didn't sound like a V6 to me. I was so used to my Capris. <laughs> right. So I had all that changed. So is uh, this an upgrade from the Capri or a downgrade? No, it's... <laughs> well, I was still like Depends a Capri. Who you're to. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and then I got had an American BM short shift put into her. Upgraded the brakes, put bigger wheels on her. They were 17 inch, got up to 18 inch. But yeah, at the end of the day, that's it. So I'm 70 now and I'm finding that, you know, it's just my toy now. And it's finished? It's finished. Yeah. 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 And now you just get to enjoy it. I am, yeah. And well, basically, it's for everybody else, the public. You know, they all come in, the women love it with all the mirrors underneath the bonnet. <laughs> They're all doing their hair sort of thing. I mean, it's basically what can be done with like what they used to call a reps car. Exactly, a, a normal car. Yeah. And it's not every day you can do your hair whilst looking at no, the engine, exactly. is it? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, there's quite a variation. What's your favourite one? Uh, tactful approach. Alan's. That one, good idea. Yeah. <laughs> the shiniest one wins. The shiniest one wins. Yeah, I can well believe that. Yeah. So, tell me about your car. 2003 E46 Phoenix Yellow. A little bit of paintwork done. CSL wheels, CSL boot lid. Don't come out very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the problem with a lot of these cars. Is you get the feeling that they're kept in a garage and you know out of the way of everyone, but. You do enjoy having it, presumably, even oh, if yeah, it doesn't get driven yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, it's an investment and it sits in the garage, comes out every now and then. And, and um, why this particular one? Always wanted one as a younger kid. I think that's well, going to be the answer to a lot of these yeah. things, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah pretty much. And, and, and now you can afford it, this is what you got? Yeah, yeah, kids are growing up now, so it's my turn to enjoy the car now. <laughs> <laughs> a good answer. <laughs> The other day, uh, unfortunately, we had to uh, call the breakdown services for my other half's Cougar as the sensor had gone, so the, uh, the rest of the car had pooped itself. They came out in 11 minutes. I was very impressed, and it happened to be the AA, and actually we're here chatting to a man from the AA. Hello there, my name's Richard Stewart. I'm a technical liaison engineer for the AA, working with our B2B customers, which is our main manufacturers. And obviously this vehicle here is a Hyundai Nexo fuel cell electric vehicle, which was converted as the UK's first hydrogen-fueled 
breakdown vehicle. It will be actually based in Birmingham, which is a good thing for us because obviously, one, there's a hydrogen filling station there, and two, this is where our operations centre is in Dudley, so it can be deployed to, to jobs in the city centre. The main reason is a lot of councils are stopping the, uh, the use of fuelled internal combustion engines into city centres for obvious reasons and this is perfect for us because it's got the size that we can fully kit it out and so patrols can do what we would call level one breakdowns and it's the same with all vehicles be it electric, fueled, normally fueled vehicles they suffer from flat batteries, flat tyres, out of fuel, coolant low, that sort of thing and this is obviously what this vehicle is designed for, nice quick easy fixes and get our members back on the road again. Or as uh, we had to use for the other half's Cougar, the, uh, the freewheeling hubs, Absolutely. which I thought were, were fascinating. I thought just a genius way of doing it. Bit of a palaver for the guys. You've got to jack it up and take the wheels off and put the hubs on. But an ingenious way of recovering something that's otherwise immobilised. They were a very good idea. Absolutely. Yeah, that's been designed in-house with the aid of our external company that have put that all together for us. And it's great for a patrol because we can single source complete that. So if, for instance, if the electronic parking brake was stuck on, we could front lift the vehicle and we could put the freewheeling hubs on the back and recover it. Likewise, if it's a fully electric vehicle, a 4x4, for instance, where it's got an electric motor in the rear, an electric motor in the front, and there's no, say, for instance, it's out of charge, it'd be quicker to actually put the freewheeling hubs on than it would be to put charge into the vehicle to actually take it either home so they could charge it or to a, a local charge point. Although I must admit, I'm still a bit mystified by uh, why can't you just tow somebody along with the car in the ready position to regeneratively charge the battery. I'm convinced that's absolutely fine in my head because if I'm rolling down a hill, I'm not touching anything and the car's being pushed along by gravity. What's the difference between gravity and a tow rope? I'm not sure there is a lot, but... Okay. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Obviously, because we work with our B2B customers, which Hyundai is one, we go by exactly what they say. Uh, for obvious reasons. They're the experts, they're the ones that design and build the vehicle. We go exactly by what they say and obviously what the handbook says as well. A very diplomatic and probably the correct answer as well. Probably the safer answer, <laughs> I dare say. But if, uh, if anyone's in there, have a look at our, uh, our website and Instagram for pictures of this vehicle. Anyone that claims to need a van for work, I, I don't think they're trying hard enough, to be honest, because I don't think there's, there's not a lot of space in here. I think if you dunk the car underwater, not many air bubbles would come up. It's, uh, it's very well kitted out, it has to be said. Absolutely. We run all our vehicles at the maximum weight. We carry everything because you don't know what you're going to turn up for. It's exactly the same as our van fleet. We run them fully loaded for the simple reason we're going to try and fix that vehicle on the roadside. And if we've got the spares and the equipment and the tooling to do that, that's what we're going to do. But with, uh, with roadside breakdowns these days, do you find you can fix them less often as cars are more electronic and reliant on sensors and things like that. You know, my other half's car, there was absolutely nothing wrong with the car mechanically whatsoever, but one sensor going wrong meant the all-wheel drive was grabbing at brakes and trying to send power everywhere, so the car was just, just not happy. Do, do you find you can mechanically fix things these days, or is it is it more electronics and diagnostics? Well, it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you, because obviously we look at the skills of the patrol force that we, we regularly update, because part of my role in my position is to, is to liaise with the manufacturers to actually look at the electronics and the, and the technology that they use and feed that back to the patrol force and the fixes that we can give to the patrol forces on their system that they can actually interpret and they if there's a code that for instance comes up on the system on the car when it if it breaks down we can interpret that with their diagnostic kit 
which can read and we can do actuation tests and things like that. So we have got systems on board the vehicle with the patrol's knowledge that we can get vehicles going if an electrical system should fail or a mechanical system. Obviously there's going to be times when a patrol can't fix that, hence the reason we've got the freewheeling hub to, to get the person to either the home address or a place of repair, whichever's the best and most convenient for them. Well, what I liked about uh, Paul, the technician who attended to myself, after he told me in, he said, oh, there's my card, there's my number. Can you do me a favour and let me know if there's something I could have done differently at the roadside, i.e. could I unplug a sensor, could I pull a fuse out, could I do something to make the car drivable, even if not to be able to go off-road or the ABS might not work, but if it means that you can drive it rather than towing it. I really like that that follow-up and that personal touch, so not to blow smoke up your trumpet, but <laughs> it, it really was a nice, a nice feeling and I felt very well supported by the AA, it has to be said. Yeah, thank you. Uh, as I say, in the A, we work as one big team. We all like to feed information to help each other. We've got 2,000 patrols out there, and our main aim is to get our members moving again. As I say, this is why we're always innovative, hence this vehicle here. We always want to be on the front foot. Otherwise, if we didn't do that, we'll still be changing points and magnetos on the side of the road. So, <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Richard, thank you very much for your time. Have a good rest of the show. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Now, you've already been mentioned, another Mondeo. This is, yes, this is obviously a Mondeo ST. Had it for 20 years. Started modifying it 17 years ago to standard where it is now. Obviously, it's not your average driving car. It's just a personal show car. It's a demo audio car. Uh, that's the purpose of this car. It's just for demo audio. That's just, how we justify it, is it? That's it, that's yeah. it, that's it, yeah. <laughs> Crazy kind of hair tricks, floating tricks in the doors, and all kind of stuff like that. You're looking at roughly... 32 speakers in the whole car. 30. Uh, we can't fit no more. That's enough. That, that is enough. We look around at possibly 30,000 watts of pure watts in the car. It's very, very loud. You don't want to be in there with uh, the radio up. No, you don't. You don't. It, no, not at all. No, no. Too, too much flexing goes on in the car. But yeah, it's very loud. It's not just about the bass. The car is more tuned for the quality, the clarity, and the vocals of the music. So whereabouts you are around the car the clarity is the key so where you actually stand around the car you will actually feel the bass hit you but the clarity and the vocals are crisp and clear no matter where you stand around the car that was our aim and our goal so we kind of achieved that yes so is this what you do for a living and therefore you know what you're talking about <laughs> I've, uh, I've been in the audio for about 30 years it's not my business no I don't this, but I've just been in the game for about 30 years and just followed the experts and get their advice and stuff, yeah. And one way or another, I'm guessing that in many ways each and every one of these modified vehicles reflects the personality of the person in some way. Are you loud but clear? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I like to be, yeah. I, I like to be, yeah. You know what I mean? I like to be there with a the car making it loud, obviously, yes. Yeah. So I'm myself being known on the media and stuff, so yes, yeah. I mean, DJs. yes. I mean, coming to things like this, it's talking to people, isn't it? And presumably everyone admiring it. It's great to come here. Shows like this, they're all kind of based on enthusiasts. So the people come here, they love looking at all the cars. And it's just about enjoying the show, talking to people to come here, see the car, talk to them, let them sit in the car. Some shows, turn the music on. This show, obviously we can't turn the car on. But it's just coming here, showing them the car, talking to them about the car. All enthusiasts, all petrol heads, electric heads, we're all the same. Yeah. And you let them sit in the car? Yes, yeah, they sit in the car. The kids come along, that's what it's about. It's not just for the adults, it's for the kids. Kids can sit in their car, have the photos taken with them with the car. That's what it's all about. It's all about fun and letting people see the car.
Hi my name's Max Spooner, I'm from SMC Motor Group and we're here with the Sayat Mo 125. Those of you that know me will know that I'm not a coordinated person, however, some things are relatively interesting to me. Bikes generally not, but this is electric, isn't it? That's right, yes. So many people know Sayat, the car brand, part of the Volkswagen Group. Well, this is Volkswagen's entry into urban mobility. It's 125cc equivalent, all on electric power has a range of 87 miles, you can charge it, and the great thing is you can actually remove the battery and swap it out. Yeah, I saw this, there's one on, on a little sort of trolley almost, is it kind of built into it I guess, so you can just pull the whole thing out or? Yeah, so the idea is, yeah, you pull the lever and it just comes out, it's like a cartridge. It's on caster wheels so you can then wheel it into your house or into your office and then you just charge it on a free pin plug with a, with a kettle lead on the end. Wow, so charge time roughly? Charge time about four to six hours. Four to six. So yeah, that's that's pretty decent. You've taken it to work and back or something, and then the chance I probably won't be riding it overnight. And I guess the other thing is, if you're in a flat or a house or something where you can't necessarily get a car close to charge up, with that it's much easier. Yes, yeah, so as I say, you can take it into the house. It weighs about forty kilos, so it's not too cumbersome to move it around. And uh, yeah, we're seeing a lot of people using it as a as an alternative to commuting now because you know taking the car it costs you a quid to start the car, whereas this thing you get nearly 90 miles of range. Yeah, so roughly, I mean, it's difficult to say at the moment, roughly what's the sort of cost to charge that? I'm just trying to work this out in my head. Cost to charge is about 80 pence, so it works out about a penny a mile. That'll do pretty nicely, yeah, to, to get yourself around. It's quite a cool thing, I suppose, like a, a scooter, effectively twist and go, but this has selectable drive modes as well. Yeah, so you've got Eco, City and Sport, and then it just changes the power outputs accordingly. Mm, so, obviously being electric, I'm guessing it's massively torquey. Very talky. In fact, the torque level is more of that than a say Ibiza to give it some kind of comparison. The 0 to 30 time is just immense. We actually um, compared it to a one of our Cupra Leon 300s, and uh, in a sort of short drag test, it was it was a dead heat all the way up to beyond 30 miles an hour. Pretty impressive, really, isn't it? And it's exactly what you need if you're in a city or hopping around a town or something. I'm not a biker, obviously, as you know. In terms of riding one of these, is it something that you can ride with an L-plate or is it something you need to have a full licence for? That's probably an important question. Yeah, so you can ride it on an A1 or a B1 licence, or if you have a full driving licence, you can take a CBT test and then you can ride it on L-plates. Perfect. So if I do a, a CBT, then I can go out and I can ride that straight away. That's it. Until such time as your CBT expires and then you need to top up to a, to a full bike licence. The price range of these things? Is there any options that you'd need to consider or things you'd recommend? Yeah, so there are the sort of traditional options you'd have. So you've got the big aero screen, you've got the roof boxes, phone holders, gloves, helmets and, and so on. But the actual bike itself is uh, is £5,000. There is a PCP offer on that as well. So uh, we can offer it at £99 deposit and then £79.40 a month over a four-year period. Okie dokie, so yeah, I mean, and presumably free to tax as well because it's electric, so... Yeah, all, all of that is free and of course in London bikes park for free as well, no congestion charge or anything like that. And in, in terms of maintenance, I'm guessing probably not as expensive to service either. Yeah, it's bad news for our after sales department in that regard, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it, yeah the, the actual running costs are, are so low because yeah, there's, there's no moving parts. And the overall experience of, of riding this compared to a regular bike? 
Uh, one thing you'll probably notice is it's a little bit heavier compared to a traditional petrol powered bike, but everything's a lot smoother and a lot quieter as well. So if you are in a busy neighborhood, you're not gonna be disturbing all your neighbors when you're going to work uh, at six in the morning with uh, what sounds like an angry bee in a baked bean tin. I, you just hope, the people around where, around where we live, just the gangs of scooters with their, goodness knows what they've done, hammered out the baffles or something in the exhaust, and it sounds, if you're listening to this, it sounds dreadful, okay, it doesn't sound good, if it's a V8 or something, fine, straight pipe the hell out of that, that, no, 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 scooters with the bits popped out of it, I would be very pleased if they suddenly all became electric. And that's it, you know, I mean, uh, it's probably bad news if you've got somebody here coming up behind you to, to nick your phone because you won't hear them coming, but, but yeah, I mean, we've had, we've had the bikes out today, and uh, and yeah, you sort of you just see them you see them disappear off. But I've if I've had my back turned and they've they've come back. I, I haven't realised they're here. Mm, I say decent performance, absolutely zero emissions, free to tax, perfect for the city really. I think we've just found your new company vehicle. Sorry, I haven't uh, haven't said much in this chat. I've been uh, busy off driving uh, the Alpine, so that was good fun. Yes, absolutely good fun. But yes, thank you. So where should people go if they want to know more about this? So they can check us out online, so at SMC Motor Group for LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Facebook and our YouTube channel, so make sure you get subscribed to that. But we also have our dedicated Sayat Mo channels as well, so it's at Sayat Mo for Facebook and at SMC Sayat Mo on Instagram. My name's Steve Rawson, I'm supporting the Young Driver stand. So I'm the engineer that's actually designed and developed this uh, small car, which we use for training for kids from four to ten years, which we do through the Young Driver School of Motoring. So yes, yeah, so we're standing next to two vehicles. One is complete, the other one has lots of uh, viewing places, let's say. And obviously the, the structure that is there is all proper mechanical engineering. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so the structure is all aluminium. It's aluminium extrusions all welded together. So it actually performs like a, a proper car. It's got independent suspension, both front and rear, and two dual motors, uh, 24 volt driven for the power. And it drives like a normal car as well? Correct, yeah. We've got the steering ratio is one, one and a half. So it actually is not like a go-kart, where it's very positive on a go-kart. Uh, so it, it acts exactly like a car. Would. And what we do is we get kids used to the controls, but we also, you know, the, these cars can be purchased outright as well for individuals. Right. They're quite good fun. These cars at the moment are restricted for the young driver school. So they do uh, 10 miles an hour maximum, but that's because of the gearbox ratio that we use we probably wouldn't go much more than 30 miles an hour in them with the gearboxes but they, they 30 sounds fast enough <laughs> it is fast enough definitely um, so if somebody's got a bit of land or, or they want to have a have some fun they can do that and the independent suspension makes them safe as well so they're not going to topple over or, or well yeah I guess you can topple them over <laughs> if if you really wanted to but it will soak up most of the uneven ground that we've got on there these are quite sporty models yeah. I'm going to sort of imagine what that one looks like and then say where did you used to work <laughs> um, yeah I used to work at Aston Martin believe it or not there are uh, definite similarities <laughs> yeah there is um, so this was designed by uh, some of our partners that we've used before but basically my, my background was Aston Martin prototype so I helped set up the prototype shop many years ago which was the change from the, the DB7 to the DB9 um, so that's where my uh, my background comes from. <laughs> and it being put to good use, I mean, the, these look great. 
that I imagine they are fun to drive. Yeah, they are. But they are too small for most of us to get in. They are, yeah. Um, so that you can actually sit an adult in the passenger seat. Uh, it's a little bit cramped, as, you, as you'd expect. But we've got adjustable seats for the kids as well. So if they're small frame children or large frame children, you get all sorts of sizes. <laughs> um, so it adapts for those, really. Any more than about 1, 1. 1.2 metres high, you're starting to get a little bit cramped in there. But I've driven around. I've had to test it, unfortunately. <laughs> and I've got bad knees. Because you're as tall as I am. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, but it's OK, actually. It's quite comfortable. The ball, yeah, you, there's a bit of foot room in the in the bottom there, so uh, and the kids just love them. I mean, they're for these training yes. days. I mean, there's probably not thousands of thousands of things out there yet, but they're a good starter for proper driving. Oh, it's, that's exactly what they're designed for. Um, so it's to get the get kids. Uh, it was just like sponges, you teach them something and they'll just suck it in. There's no attitude or less attitude at, at the early age. We kind of teach them on a circuit how to drive, how to steer. And we find with the young kids, they, they can turn, but then they forget to turn back. Um, whereas this, Some adults do that too. Yeah, 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 they do, definitely. Yeah, so we, we, we teach them all of those experiences and they can have a 20-minute lesson or a 10-minute lesson, depending on what you want to do. And their attention spans, the younger they are, are, are less and less. But it's great. And then we evolve that into when they get tall enough uh, and old enough into a, into a real car, courses at this point, uh, dual control um, with, uh, with a proper instructor and uh, all the kids come off with a big beaming smile afterwards and a lot of them come back for more and more lessons. Uh, we do have a log book so the, the instructors will rate them from basic controls all the way up to three point turns and emergency stops and you can have as many lessons as you want. If you finish the book you in effect <laughs> can drive a car. It's, uh, it's a good place to start when oh, it comes to getting onto the road. Yeah. It is, and they get, they have so much more awareness of, of what's around them and stuff like that. And then, of course, you've got the benefit of when they are 17, you only need three or four top-up lessons, happy days, and you're away. Well, you're away, but then you have the cost of buying the <laughs> little driving, yeah. guys, the cars and everything else. So that's what it's for, um, even if it's just for an experience, birthday experience or, or something just a little bit different. But what we find is they all come back because they're just buzzing when they come off. So is, is this something that you can do anywhere in the country? Yeah, there's, there's over 70 sites in the, in the UK. So it's all online. So if you look us up, youngdriver.com. There's also other experiences as well. So we have two fire engines, double-decker bus, the old London red double-decker <laughs> bus. We have a Bentley uh, and we have a number of classic cars as well, all to give kids and the young people experiences of the motor car. It's, it's fantastic. We are now looking at a sea of GT40s, so there's Ford's latest GT. We've got a number of different cars here, including a GTD, and I'm chatting to Keith, who is the Kent area organiser for the GT40 Enthusiast Club, with a beautiful blue GTD40, or is it a 40 GTD? It is a 40 IGTD. 40 IGTT, which is beautiful, and you presumably spent a lot of time keeping it dust-free, because it is, it is such a deep colour, this. It is lovely, yeah. and it looks great on the sense lockers as well by the way. Thank you. Yes, this is a GTD chassis with a GTD body and the back of the chassis has been cut off and grafted in its place is Southern GT rear end. So the, all the rear suspension is Southern GT, the front suspension is Southern GT modified to fit a GTD, the engine is an all aluminium 6 litre V8 Ford, topped by four twin choke 
48 IDAs. So it produces just under 500 brake horsepower. Wow, how much does it weigh? It weighs 1,037 kilos. So about the same as a Fiesta? That's right, and that's full tanks and a driver. That's incredible, and, and you built this, you said it in a single garage, you have quite a novel way of getting into this garage, which I've quite enjoyed. Well, I started building this on a mobile pedestal so I could wheel it backwards and forwards, and we had doors put on the back of our garage, myself and my wife, so that at the early stages we could actually push it out in the back garden, which is all patio, so I could build it, but the day the engine went in it, it was then too heavy to do that because we had to take it off the tripod to actually put the engine in. So ever since that, it was then either built in the garage or rolled out onto the drive to build it. And your, your wife's on board with the, the project in the building, is she, or is she yes. involved in it? Yeah, she worked on the assumption that if she didn't help me, she wouldn't get to see me. <laughs> <laughs> Very true, I think, to be honest. And, and I think if you've got the wife on board, that's the battle mostly won. That's I think, one of the hardest parts of building a car, to be honest. It does help that, like me, she's a motorsport enthusiast. You know, my background is I used to do karting myself. Then I professionally run a kart racing team. So the likes of you could pay me to run you in a kart. I did that for several years. My son did karting from the age of five, then finished up racing cars. So motorsport is in my blood. And when my son stopped racing cars, my said basically, well, what are we going to do now? She knew I liked GT40s, so she joined me to the GT40 Enthusiast Club, and the rest is history. The car, to my eye, looks exactly like a GT40, yes. and it has a, a proper windscreen, everything else that's all curved to the car. Yep. How close is this to an original car? Because obviously it's running a V8, you've got the sense loggers on there. Yep. To, to anyone other than the number plate maybe giving the game away because it's a more, more recent plate, how close is it? Right, there's two things that you can tell that's not a real GT40. The first is there's a line that follows the window right the way through. On a real one, you wouldn't get that. And the other thing on a real one, what we call the spider, which is the roof of the cockpit, mm -hmm. that would be steel, whereas this is fiberglass. Those really are the only two giveaways. You can take any body panel here or any part of the glass, windscreen, headlight covers, and it will fit exactly on a real GT40. Without putting a you know, detector or magnet or whatever on yep. the top there, literally that, that line on the top That's is the only giveaway. The only giveaway. I feel, I feel slightly better not being able to tell it apart from yeah. a distance then. That's quite reassuring. I have had someone at Spa that was racing a real GT40 who'd had an accident, offered me silly money for me to sell him the, what we call the rear clan. But then we wouldn't have been able to drive it home. So I turned him down. Yeah, so I remember one of my old jobs, I had the, uh, the task of going through our cow sheds and selling off spare car parts that we had from the dealership. Uh, loads of alloy wheels and exhaust and bits and pieces like that. And then, uh, But the deal at the time was always, well, stick it on eBay, whatever you get for it, you can have 5% of it. But I did actually find an original set of clams for the owner of the dealership's GT40, his original one. So I did go back up to my boss and say, you did say 5% of everything, didn't you? said not the clamshells you know martin will do his nut if you sell them so it's, it's just the the engineering and and the quality that's gone into it it is it is flawless uh, who uh, who painted it because it's a it's a stunning uh, painting someone local to me called alan ribbins 
who paints exotic cars. He's a little one-man band in Kent, and he made a stunning job of this. He definitely has. It's, it is absolutely lovely. I, I'm, I must go back, though, just for a moment to the garage, because you mentioned how you get in. Which I thought, because I'd made the assumption that this couldn't possibly fit in a single garage, because... If you've, you, everyone knows a Ford GT40. They're obviously known for being low and wide, and I, I couldn't imagine getting it in mine. It took a while to get the hang of it. <laughs> I've got near the wall a couple of times, and my wife normally sees me back in with what I term ridiculous arm waving. <laughs> Look, I've got no idea what she's telling me. The only <laughs> thing I understand is stop. And that means I'm getting near to something. That's probably the most important command, though, when parking. And you you said that you you sort of had to come in on on a dog leg to line the door up with your door, is that right? That's right. I reverse it into the garage, and as soon as the back wheels are past the the entrance of the garage, you then have to come back in a sort of lazy S Mm. to try and get it as close to the near side wall as possible to, to allow enough room for the door to open wide enough to get out. But you actually, you open the driver's door into the door into your house, don't you? If you imagine that, of course, the door sort of goes over the top into the roof, so you do have to have a relatively wide opening to be able to get in and out. And then the sill itself is is wide, isn't it, in here? That's right. And the sill covers a petrol tank. Right. Both sides. Yeah, sure. So it it, it is chunky. It is. Bit of a, a bit of crawling maybe to get in there. But it occurs to me reversing in, of course, you can't just wind down the window and stick your head out, can you? No. And unless you can get your head through a tiny flap, <laughs> you're not going to, you're not ready to do that. It's done on the outside mirrors. Yeah, yeah. But there's, a, there's actually a, a bit of creature comfort in here as well, isn't there? As you said, it's got uh, yeah. air conditioning. We have aircon in there. Um, the helicopter vents, which I put in just recently, are absolutely brilliant for getting fresh air into the car. I'm looking at these thinking that maybe on our track car this would be a good idea. Definitely. Um, these, these are almost little uh, circles, I suppose, that are probably, what, 10, 12 centimetres wide, pop open and then scoop the air in, um, just so you get a bit of cooling whilst you're driving along. Seems like a, a great idea. So I think we've, uh, we've covered off the practicality, bearing in mind it fits in a, uh, in a single garage. Uh, that's all OK. I think we've decided it's slightly less practical at drive through McDonald's, as the, uh, the windows <laughs> don't open actually properly. Uh, dare we ask about fuel economy? No. (laughs) (laughs) On the way down here today, at a constant 70 mile an hour, which is 2,500 RPM, probably returned about 13 miles to the gallon. 13? 13. 13. I don't think that's too bad. No, well, the the high fuel prices... That is a different kettle of fish. When I was out on the track at Spa and also out on the track at Le Mans, I managed to get it down to three. That's a phenomenal <laughs> effort. Well done. That's yeah. brilliant. Thank well you. done. Yeah. I was Three trying. is good. I was trying. <laughs> so have you taken this out racing or just track days? Or? No, only track days. And the only two track days it's been a Spa and Le Mans so far. I bet it's incredible, isn't it? It's brilliant. So those are two tracks as well. You do spend a lot of time at full throttle. That's so if right. you're going to ruin the MPG, then those are two good places to do and it. I love Spa. It's a fantastic track, especially Eau Rouge.
Yeah, it's on my bucket list, I have to say. I've quite fancy going across for the historic, but you said we should go take the track car and then, you know, if you can get away with doing both or something, either end of a week, maybe. Yeah, as long as the, uh, as long as the Ford breakdown cover covers us in Europe, I think we'll be OK. <laughs> I'm not, it would make it there. I'm not sure about all the way around and back again. We shall yeah. see. And it, it certainly wouldn't be anything like this. This is, this is very cool. What a, what a project. And you say you've got a chap locally that's, that's built four of them as well. Yeah, he's one of my club members in Kent guy called Neil Purvis. So he built a Cobra first of all, um, then he built a Tornado GT40, but then with his own slant, so it's really more of a, his name's Neil Purvis, so it's really more of a Purvis than a Tornado. And then the last three, he's built two that have been sold, and the, he's about three quarters of the way through building another one at the moment. It's impressive, isn't it, really? I, it takes me long enough to even think about finishing building the engine. Yeah, that's, a, that's <laughs> certainly a good effort. Very impressive. It's such a cool thing. Thank you so much for talking to us about it. Not a problem. I'm John Murden. I'm the Chief Executive of the National Motor Museum at Bewley. And I'm Ian Stanfield. I'm the Senior Engineer at the Motor Museum at Bewley. So we're obviously here at a motor show. Motor Museum makes perfect sense. What have you got here today? So when we were talking to the organisers back in the spring, they were saying about the various records that they want to set here at the Motor Show uh, this August. So we were talking to Andy and it, was like, it seemed natural to bring some record-breaking cars from our own collection, record-breaking vehicles from our own collection. And seeing as it's celebrating the centenary of setting the land speed record this May, back in May 1922, what better vehicle to bring than the 350 horsepower Sunbeam? which we indeed saw at Brooklands a few weeks ago, driven by... Myself, Ian Stanfield, but we did recreate a picture, the classic picture with a sunbeam and the uh, railway engine in the background, driven by Kenham Lee Guinness at the time. So we, we were able to uh, see his grandson in the car to reenact that famous picture. Yeah. And getting a train to do that isn't something you get to do every day, and getting one of these out every isn't something you do every day. No, it's very difficult to get the timing right because it is the, the, the main line, So, uh, but it worked out perfectly. We were very good and we were able to bring some guests on the train and then, then bust them in, into Brooklyn's and then we, then we ran the car at Brooklyn's as well. So it was a fantastic day. And this vehicle, quite a lot of work has gone into it over the last few years to get it to the state it's in now. Yeah, I mean, we had an unfortunate incident in 1994 when uh, it managed to seize a big end and the rod came out through the side of the engine. Slows it down a bit. Yeah, it did a bit. So um, we actually started the work on the engine again in 2004 and we had it up and running again by 2014-15, where we then took it down to Pendine for another anniversary of when it achieved various land speed records you know I mean this vehicle has done almost everything over the years hasn't it and driven by different people yeah I mean lots of people have driven this car um, Ken and Lee Guinness as I say and, uh, and it, of course it, it then became Malcolm Campbell's car for when he took the land speed record in, in 1924 and 1925 it's the first car to achieve a, a land speed record of 150 mile an hour so that's one vehicle you say you brought several record holders what else do you got so we've got 1928 Rudgewith with Ulster. That was ridden by uh, Graham Walker in the 1928 Ulster Grand Prix. It was the first motorcycle to average over 80 miles an hour in a Grand Prix race. So it's a very special bike and of course the connection, that being Murray Walker's father, makes it a particularly special bike. The motorcycle we've got behind me, the 1912 Norton, 
that set over 80 speed records, wasn't it? I think it's 100 speed records because it is actually, it's got a nickname of Old Miracle. So uh, all the engines that Norton were producing at the time were put into that frame and tested to make sure they would do 80 mile an hour. So it was actually rescued from the scrappy at Norton's, you know, so a very historic motorbike. They didn't know what they'd got or it was just sort of scrap? Well, it was just scrap. They thought they were moving on and, and one of the team at Norton thought we ought to use this and rescued it from the scrappy. That's always good. So and I, I can't help noting a particularly small vehicle down there. Yes, that's a Peel P50, the world's smallest production car. Children absolutely love that. <laughs> I'm not sure I would fit in it at six foot one. Um, but uh, it's, it's... You looked around at Ian then, Is that, does, do you fit in it? I do fit it and I, and I have driven it and in fact lots of people have driven it and there's a lo lovely clip on YouTube of uh, one of our engineers trying to get in and out of it. I think it's fair to say he wears the car <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> but you can just get in and out of it and then our other vehicle we've got is a 1972 Outspan Mini which doesn't hold a, an official record of any sort but it's arguably one of the most popular vehicles in the museum. Could be the world record for the daftest car ever made. It's certainly eye-catching on a stand, if nothing it, else. <laughs> it, it, it's iconic. And, and yesterday I made the mistake of showing one young person inside the car. And I don't think I moved for another hour and a half with the queue to get in and out. Because, of course, when you've let one person sit in it, you can't not let everybody else. So, <laughs> so no one's getting in that today. Then. <laughs> not, to, not today, just because it was just it became a, a real attraction on the stand. But it's, it's great to be able to have it here. We had a minor restoration this year. We were able to have um, uh, some repairs done to it, free of charge. I'm, I'm pleased to say. So it's, it's a few adjustments to the to the steering setup and, and the gear change linkage. So, so it's still working perfectly happily. Perfectly, we drove it in here, we'll drive it out again, so, yeah. You drove it in rather than driving it from Bewley here. <laughs> I'd it, love it, to have seen that on the M3. <laughs> well, it is road legal and we have used it on the road and um, done several commercial vehicle runs with it, with Lord Montague driving it. But it's not very uh, practical. 30 mile an hour is flat out and that's all I'd want to be doing in it, yeah. You certainly get the looks on the road, that's the important detail. When I've driven it, I lose my nerve at about 20. <laughs> Not because it won't go faster, but it's just the least dynamic car in the world, isn't it? It's top-heavy, it's got it's got a load of concrete in the back to, to keep the wheels weighted down. It wants to roll over in corners, roll over when you break it. But it is iconic and it is great fun. So one of many things in the museum, what else you got at the moment? So we've got uh, the vehicles that have been in the No Time to Die, the latest Bond film, so the Astons, all the best vehicles from there. The museum itself is celebrating 50 years this year. So as part of our 50th birthday anniversary, we've put together an exhibition called The Story of Motoring in 50 Objects. And that's icons really from our collection uh, in a tour all around, not only the museum, but around the Beaulieu estate more generally. So we've got those two exhibitions on. The Bond No Time to Die runs until October and then the story of motoring in 50 objects runs until April next year. We'll have to get down to see that sometime then. And the fact that it is 50 years old, it's got bigger and bigger and better. Any particular favourites in amongst them? That, you know, that's a really, really hard question. I suppose if I was forced to, to choose one car, I'd probably choose the, the BRM, the V16 BRM just because of the noise, uh, which probably shows that I'm just a big kid at heart. But it's a fantastic piece of engineering, flawed as we know, but a marvellous achievement at the time, technically, 
and just the noise of it is, is a thing to behold. I was sitting in my office, which is about half a mile away from the, the museum workshops a couple of weeks ago, and I was uh, hunched over my laptop and I heard a noise and I thought, I think they've just started the BRM out of the museum. So yeah, I'd, I'd probably choose that if I was forced to choose just one. Good choice, I think that's fair to say. And now you've had a couple of seconds to have a think. Have you got one as well? Well, the 350 horsepower sunbeam behind you there, because it's <laughs> taken me... diplomatic answer, well done. <laughs> well, it's been a big part of my life, that car. Um, and, and, and we're lucky enough to have the 1,000 horsepower sunbeam at Bewley as well, which is undergoing engine rebuilds as we speak, you know. So uh, that may then become my favourite car, <laughs> you know. And, and you're one of the few people that gets to drive it as well, of course. Yeah, we, we are very restrictive of who drives our cars because they are so precious, you know. Not saying that, I mean, we are quite generous. I mean, hopefully at the Goodwood Revival, Damon Hill will be driving our Lotus 49. So uh, we'll see how it goes. So you only have to be a world champion Formula One driver and you get to drive one? Yeah, we prefer <laughs> experienced drivers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, here we are the end of the day at British Motor Show. Your feet tired? Uh, they are actually, let's have, a, let's have a little look at the step count and see, uh, see how we've got on today. While you're looking that up, we are just wandering out towards the exit now and all the, the owners of the classic cars and sports cars bits and pieces are just trundling past us on the way out. And some really interesting stuff there, I've just seen, is it a 214 estate? I seem to remember that sort of, that sort of shape. What have you found? 11,500 steps, so that's a, that's a good day's walking I think. Yeah, not bad. There's been some, some very interesting stuff. We just stopped. There's all kinds of, of, of expensive and exotic machinery driving past us. And we've just videoed an Uno driving past because we can't remember the last time we saw one and we know that Dave will quite like it. Um, probably to the shock of everyone else that was, uh, that was going past, but there you go. It's, uh, I feel like we haven't quite uh, quite seen enough. I could very easily do another day here, I think. It's quite nice that last time we came, if you, if you got a wiggle on, you could do the whole thing in a day. It shows it's getting bigger and better. Ooh, I've just seen a Volvo 240, maybe. Just looking off in the distance there. And also a beige Mark V Cortina. Interesting. Oh, I do like an old Volvo. I know you guys like an old Volvo as well. You told us such. That's lovely. It is a 240. It's a 240 GL. Owned by husband and wife for 32 years and never garaged. Fitted with a mobile phone for husband's business. Still in the car, but doesn't work. Amazing. What a cool looking thing. Yes, so anyway, we digress. There's just, there's just so much to see, is the point. There's a, a Rover P6 here with a Sinclair C5 on the roof. I mean, you couldn't call that that was going to be there when you came in, could you? But still, fascinating, very interesting. British Motor Show, long story short, come down. It's not massively expensive to get in. I think it's about 16 quid or so. But it's definitely a decent family day out, don't you think? Yeah, there's, uh, it's too often with car shows they can be the preserve of just the dad or just the bloke or just the husband or just the boyfriend that's into cars. But this one has had a real, real family atmosphere to it. There's kids of all ages and there's something for the kids to do and keep themselves amused. So it's, it's great. And, uh, and again, big shout out to Caterham. Some of the, uh, the youngsters heading out and about in the Caterham drift taxis look to be just, you know, barely big enough to crawl into the car. But uh, they look like they were having a whale of a time. <laughs> we've just we've just been told off by uh, the fake American police that we can't park here, boys. <laughs> I was just wandering past with the lights on. It's a good crack, and it, 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 there is a good vibe. We speak to all kinds of different people, and 
there are, are people from different clubs, there are people with different businesses. It's not just card, actually. I've just spoken to a, a chap from um, a watch company that started a, an entire business based on, on, on a passion of collecting watches, which he shared with his grandfather in his, in his memory. And it's just, there's lots of there's interesting stories, and there's lots of cars here with interesting stories. There's a convertible DS here. I don't think I've ever seen one of those before. Mad. Right next to a WRC car, or at least a WRC tribute car, one of the two. But yes, there's a lot of variety, a lot of interesting things, and, and by all means, you need to come down and, and take a look for yourselves and see what it's about. But uh, yeah, thanks to British Motion Show for having us again for another year, and uh, we will see you for the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. UK Motor Talk, a first-take media production.